Greetings and welcome once again. As we begin this second meditation, the second contemplation, once again we create a sacred space. As I sit here, I imagine God looking at me very intently. But God is looking at me with love. As I look at myself, and I think about the good things that I've done, and I want to make a list of them. I can finish them in about a couple of seconds. And when I want to make a list of the things that I shouldn't have done, my sins, my following, my follows, uh, the times I've fallen, I can go on for hours writing it. And yet God does not look like that at me. God looks at me more or less like my mother does. <clears throat> She's disappointed in a couple of things that I've done, but she concentrates on the good things that I've done. She looks, she loves, and God does the same thing. As I am in God's presence, I'm aware of my surroundings. I'm aware of the chairs around, the lamps, the crucifix behind me. I'm aware because it is within this atmosphere, within this framework, that I'm going to pray that I'm going to make my meditation. I'm aware of sounds in the background, sounds that are distant. Here in Pickering, we have a rail, the goods train running not very far, and I can hear the wagons on the wheels, on the train tracks going along, and then closer, the sound of cars. And then finally, I come to this very place where I'm praying. And I'm aware of the sound of silence. I can, I know that there is, it is snowing and the gentle flakes are falling on the ground and soon we will have a carpet of white. It is in this framework that I am going to pray. And I'm going to pray the same thing that I prayed at the last time asking for the Holy Spirit to come down on me. Come, O Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful people in kindleness, the fire of your divine love. O God, send us your Spirit, and we will be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. I am so aware that the Spirit of the Lord is truly present, because I remember in my last talk, I had some choice phrases, some beautifully um, crafted paragraphs, and I wanted to share that with you all. But it was my pride, and that was me, not the Holy Spirit. And there were other things that I hadn't prepared, and I said it and shared it with you, and then I realized how important that was to me, and how I had to change my life. And so the, for the theme of our second meditation is put out into the deep. Let us go fishing, ice fishing. But before we look at that, before we look at the call of the apostles, let us look at the call, the call on which all our vocations are based, whether it's a vocation to the priesthood, to religious life, the vocation to be married, the vocation to be single within our faith community. All these vocations are based on this first vocation, 
the vocation of Jesus Christ himself. And there are four parts to this vocation that I'd like to share with you. The very first is a scripture text that you and I know so well. And that is from John chapter 3, verse 16. God so loved the world that God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world. Jesus was sent to proclaim the good news to all of us. Jesus was came to pass the word of God to us and those of us who received it were given power to be children of God. And yet, Jesus had to make the choice to accept it. God sent his only son. But Jesus could have very well said no with no repercussions. There was no coercion, no violence, no force. And Jesus would accept it. More or less like we hear in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8. Whom shall we send? Who shall go in our name? And Isaiah would say, here I am, send me. And Jesus would have said the same thing. Here I am, send me. I am going to proclaim the good news. I am going to proclaim the fact that the Father loves you. I am going in obedience to the Father. And so the second part was, how did Jesus do what the Father did in sending the son we're told that in the second letter to the no in the second chapter of the letter to the philippians chapters verses 11 to 16 jesus although he was equal with the father did not consider this an advantage but rather he emptied himself and took the form of a slave and became like all of us in all things except sin he emptied himself and became obedient to the Father, obedient even until death on the cross. And this is how Jesus' vocation begins. And what was this vocation all about? And that's the third part. And we see that in Luke chapter 4. When Jesus is in his own hometown and he goes up into the synagogue and your scroll is handed to him and you can see all the eyes of the people fixed on Jesus. If you go to Nazareth today, you can still see that synagogue. Well, it isn't that very synagogue, but most likely one just like that. A narrow room in which you have about 12 benches on which only three people can sit at a time. It's a small room and Jesus would take the scroll and said, The Spirit of the Lord has come upon me, for he has anointed me. He has sent me to bring the good news to the poor, to set captives free, to make the blind see. That is the way Jesus would be obedient to the Father even until death on the cross. Jesus would proclaim the good news because the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. Jesus would be obedient until death, death on the cross. And so Jesus describes his call. As he describes his call, he would realize that at one time, 
he would have to leave his father and his mother. But we are going ahead of our time. I'd like to just pick up one small point in the life of Jesus in which it more or less shows the seed in which his vocation grows. And this is at the age of 12. Jesus is a teenager. He's a person like us in all things like but sin. And he acts like a teenager. And yet he is called to proclaim the good news so he stays back in Jerusalem. And like any teenager, once you're caught up in something, you forget everything else. He forgot to tell his father and mother. It would have been so easy for him to have told Mary and Joseph, look, I am about my father's business. I am going to stay here in Jerusalem. And he's there proclaiming the good news. Was this Jesus's bar mitzvah? You know, the bar mitzvah is a time when a young Jewish boy or a young Jewish girl, and that is bat mitzvah, Takes the, uh, takes the Torah and proclaims it in front of the Jewish congregation just as a ritual to say that he has reached religious adulthood. And the people were absolutely astonished at the answers he gave. But Jesus was truly human as well. A person like us in all things but sin. If only he had told his father and mother, they wouldn't have worried about him. But then being a good boy, being a good son, we are told he went back to Nazareth and was obedient to them in all things. And he found favor before God and God's people. But he lived quietly for 30, he, until he reached the age of 30. And I'd like you to walk into Nazareth and picture that momentous occasion. He must have told his mother Mary, the hour has come. I must be about my father's business. And it must have been very sad for Mary my son is leaving, and yet she knew that this hour was going to come. Later on, Jesus would refer to this hour again and again. A few months later, at the wedding feast of Cana, Mary would come to Jesus and say, you know, bride and bridegroom are embarrassed because they have no wine. And Jesus would say those mysterious words, my hour has not yet come. What was this hour that Jesus was speaking about? Jesus was speaking about the hour in which he would proclaim the kingdom of God in obedience to the Father. And so now he is there in public life proclaiming the good news, which brings us to the vocation of the apostles. It brings us to your vocation and mine. Now, when Jesus called the apostles, he called them not just once, he called them several times. If we look at Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 16, we are told that Jesus was walking by the shores of the Lake of Galilee, and he saw Peter and Andrew. 
They were taking care of their nets. They were mending their nets. They were washing their nets as good people who work with tools. A good carpenter will make sure that his um, chisel is sharpened, that, his, that the nails and the hammers are in the right place. A good fisherman would make sure that the nets were clean and untangled. And so Jesus catches them while they are doing an honest day's work. And he says to them, come follow me. They leave everything and follow him. But they would go back to fishing because they had to earn a living. And then Jesus would call them more formally. We read that in Mark's Gospel, chapter 3. Jesus is going up and sitting down on the mountainside. It is a ritual, a sign that the Master is speaking. He speaks from a position above the rest. And he calls them. He calls Peter and Andrew and James and John and Thomas and Matthew and Simon and Jude and James again, and he even calls Judas. But this time he does not say, come follow me. He asks them to stand by him because he is going to carry, ask them to carry on his task. He knows that he's not going to be here for endless ages in flesh, that he will one day have to pass on this proclamation of the gospel to the people who would work with him. So they are going to stand with him. And he's going to give them the same power that he himself would give. He's going to tell them to proclaim the good news to the poor. He's going to allow them to make the blind see, to pick up snakes and not be harmed, to cast out demons. And they would be excited about it. But Jesus would call them yet another time. And that is the core of our meditation today. Let us go fishing, launch out into the deep, put out into the deep. And I'd like to read it from Luke's, from Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. And this is what he says. As Jesus stood but at the lake of Genazareth, and the crowds pressed in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats moored by the side of the lake. The fishermen had disembarked and they were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to pull a short distance from the shore. Then, remaining seated, he continued to teach the crowds from the boat. And then, now, the call. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and lower your nets. Simon answered, Master, we have been hard at it all night long and have caught nothing. But if you say so, I will lower the nets. Upon doing this, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets were at breaking point. They signaled to their mates in the other boat to come and help them. They came, and together they filled the two boats until they nearly sank. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> now, St. Ignatius tells us 
that if you want to get into the gospel scenes, we should imagine ourselves into the scene itself. And so I'd like to take you to this place where this actually happened. If you have been fortunate enough to go to Israel, go up to the north to the Lake of Galilee, and along the west shore there will be a town called Magdala. <clears throat> now, right through the city of Magdala, you have the main road going, almost like the 401 running right through this city of Pickering from where I'm speaking, the city of Ajax, the city of Oshawa, the city of Whitby, goes right through. And it's the same way in Magdala. On the east side, there is a smaller part of the city, you may say, on the lower side of the city. And it goes all the way down to the lake, just like here it goes down to Lake Ontario. And if you go there today, in the last decade, there has been a magnificent church built there. Now you and I know that when churches are built, they are named after the saints. St. Peter, St. Paul, St. James, St. Andrew. Sometimes they are named after mysteries like the Blessed Trinity or Blessed Sacrament or sometimes after the mysteries of the Rosary, the Church of the Annunciation, the Church of the Assumption. Now this is the only church I know, there probably are others, that is named after a phrase in the Gospel. The church is simply called Duc in Altum, the Latin for put out into the deep. And Jesus tells them to put out into the deep. Now here is Peter, who is a fisherman, being told by a carpenter to put out into the deep. They've just had the experience. They've traveled. They've worked the whole night long. They've caught nothing. But they will listen. And that is so very important. When we trust a man or a woman to lead us, then we put our whole trust in him or in her. We will obey him. We will follow what he says. We may have our own expertise. We may have our own skills. We may have our own experience. We will make them known. But finally, he is going to lead. He is going to show us the direction. He is going to go ahead of us and we will follow. But Jesus doesn't only want us to follow. He also wants us to do the same things that he will do. And he tells us to put out into the deep. Whenever we want something important, whenever we want something substantial, we always have to go in very deep. You want gold? Go to South Africa to the Kimberley gold mines. Sorry, the diamonds. If we want diamonds, we go to the Kimberley diamond mines in South Africa. And we will dig deep, deep, deep to get those diamonds. Similarly for, with gold. If you want ore to build our steel that we have in, in Hamilton and the Stelco factories, now defunct, then we have to dig deep to get that ore, which would help us to make the iron and the steel that we need. Anything that is important, we have to dig deep. And Jesus tells us, put out into the deep. And when we put out into the deep, we see the rewards immediately. 
Peter and Andrew found that they caught so much fish that they had to ask for help from their mates. We are not told who the mates are, but we know that they are James and John. And they come and also their boats are overfull and they are sinking. Now what does Peter say? Peter says at that given moment, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinner. They are filled with awe. They are filled with wonder. They realize that although they have been fishermen, they have trusted in a carpenter, in a mason, and he has done wonders. If only you and I will also put that same trust in this God who is calling us to put out into the deep. Now you and I have already been in our vocation for some time. I as a priest and as a religious in the Jesuit order, you as married couples, you as married people have been married for so long. Some of you are widowers, some of you are divorced, but you're pretty well in a way of life. But we are still called to be like Christ. We're still called because the Spirit of the Lord is upon us and Jesus is asking us, go out and proclaim the good news. And how do we do that? We do it by the lives that you and I live. We don't get an opportunity to stand like as the some of the preachers do at the corner of Dundas Square and, and Young Street and proclaim the news, that proclaim the, the, what they believe in. Most of the time, you and I, I wouldn't say most of the time, all the time, you and I, Proclaim the gospel in the best possible way by the way we unfold our lives. Our parents did that. Our teachers did that. The people around us are constantly doing that. And we witness to that and our hearts are filled with joy. We can make the deaf hear and the dumb speak if we are conversational and not confrontational. Our tempers are frayed at this time. We have got short uh, limits of patience. People are not wearing masks. They're spreading. And people yell and shout, for goodness sake, put on the mask. Don't be a spreader of the virus. We don't like to be told that. And so we rebel. We have got anti-maskers. We've got people who protest. Nothing is achieved by that. But Jesus would do it and show us how to do it. Isaiah would tell us he would not crush the bruised reed. He would not put out the smoldering flame. So when people are weak around him, Jesus does not say you're useless, go away. He encourages them. He makes that flame, that smoldering wick, come back to life and to be a flame in which light others can see. Others can be attracted out of darkness. And Jesus is calling you and to me to come and proclaim the good news, to make the deaf and dumb see and hear, to set the captives free. So many of us are captives, captives of fear, captives of not forgiving others, captives of holding on to grudges, captives of being vengeful. We are called to set people free. Let me end with a parable. And the parable is simply this. You are called to a house of one of the friends. 
And right in the middle of the night, suddenly find the smoke all around, you can't breathe, and you realize that the house is on fire, and you are in a room, you open the door and you realize there is fire there. You try to go out to the front door, there's no way you go through that. You try and look at the back door and there's a cabinet wedged against the door, there's no way you're going to open that. You know, your end is going to come. You find it difficult to breathe, the next thing you're lying on the floor and you're gasping for breath. And suddenly you realize it's not the hard floor. There is grass. Your, your face is on wet grass. And you realize somebody has come into the house and saved you and dragged you out into the open and laid you out in the garden. And you look up and you can hardly recognize him because of the smoke and all this. And he says, uh, are you all right? And you say, yeah, I'm gasping for breath. And he says, well, I've got to go in because there are others there that I need to save. And then he turns to you and makes the strangest request. Will you come in and help me to bring others out? And you'll say, for goodness sake, I am out of breath. I've just been saved myself. I don't have energy. And you look into his eyes and it's full of love. It's so invitational. He's not forcing you to do anything. And you realize there is something attractive about this man called Jesus, who is calling you and me to go out and to launch into the deep, to launch into the pit of fire, because there are others who want to hear the good news. And deep down in your gut, you realize this is a man who can be trusted. This is a man who will succeed. This is a man who is going to go before you and not just push you in and leave you on your own. This is a man who will rescue you if you are in trouble. And he calls you and he calls me, launch out into the deep because I've got great things happening in this world. I have been sent by the Father. I'll be obedient until death, death on the cross. And I want you come and stand beside me. I won't ask you to do anything that I myself haven't done. Will you come? Come with me to fish. Will you launch out into the deep? God bless you all. Mm -hmm.